This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Trashy Divorces. My name is Stacy. I'm Alicia. Thanks for joining us this week for brand new stories on Trashy Divorces. We're tying it together this week with a song from legends Elton John and Bernie Taupin in their 1974 classic. Stacy, this week you're giving us the story of Rosie O'Donnell, who uh, she's technically only had one divorce, but man, what a ride she's had. You're diving into trash TV. Just wow. Selling Sunset, y'all. Netflix show, there's a lot of trash candy wrapped up within this series. I'm taking you on a sunset trip through all of it this week as best as I'm able to catch up with it all. Lots of storylines going. Before we get started, I found our magic mirror and all the boxes packed up. Let's take that out and give some huge love and thanks to our new patrons that joined us this week on patreon.com slash trashy divorces. Yep. Thank you so much to Deanna M, Nikki H, Jenny W, Lori M, Jillian or Gillian N, please let us know, Phyllis M, and Suni R. Ollie G, Karen S, Rebecca P, Elizabeth M, Lisa Marie, Smidgen D, and DW. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Want to give an extra big shout out to some new super supporters this week. Emily G, Sally A, Sarah L. Thank you so much to all of our new patrons, to our existing patrons, and to your trashy hearts for coming back to listen on Sunday. Yep. What do we need to do now, Alicia? Sun better not go down on us. We got to go, go, go. So, Stacey, I didn't know that Inman was such a big Rosie O'Donnell fan. He was hopped up on the table. Humongous Rosie O'Donnell fan, this one. Tell us your story. Sure. Inman's ready. What hasn't comedian, actress, author, and sometime TV talk show host Rosie O'Donnell not done? I can't think of anything. Is that a sentence? Sure. What hasn't she not done? She's done everything. She's been an outspoken advocate for kids, for foster and adoptive parents, and for gay and lesbian civil rights. She was in a messy feud with a con man out of New York that's probably still ongoing, but how would we even know? And was once name-checked in a Republican presidential primary debate. She's hosted epic fights on TV's The View, which oh, she- that was a bad day. <laughs> she's a celebrity of long standing, and like many celebrities, she seems to have struggled with the impact of fame and the balance of family and career. And fortunately for us, her relationship history has been a little rocky. Talk to me. Let's get into it. So her start in life was less fortuitous than her successes might indicate. Born the third of five kids on March 21st, 1962 in Comac, Long Island, her Irish-American mom and Irish immigrant dad raised their brood in the Catholic Church. From a young age, she was a TV junkie, watching soap operas with her mom and going into Manhattan by train to see Broadway matinees. She collected the playbills, stashed them under her bed. Like you do. She was and still is a Barbara Streisand super fan. Aren't we all? I mean, and every one of these childhood loves would contribute to her later successes. Like you see the seeds of the Rosie O'Donnell show just right there. Oh, absolutely. However, while Rosie was apparently quite well-liked at school, at home, her father, who died in 2015, was sexually abusing her from a young age. Four days before her 11th birthday, 
her mother died of breast cancer, which is absolutely tragic, but also seems to have ended dad's ability to abuse his daughter. That is an awful big stack in the corner of childhood Imago. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, now dad is the sole carer of five children and- I couldn't find the time to I it's it's terrible it is a terrible, terrible thing to think about. Okay, I think she dealt with all of this trauma by busying herself with other things as many high achievers do. In high school she was homecoming queen, prom queen, senior class president and was also voted class clown, which is just like a very well-rounded an extraordinary superlative list. I mean, who has time to wallow when you can win all the things, right? <laughs> Anyway, she took a couple of stabs at college, but found that it was not for her, and she began spending time in highly questionable comedy venues in the late 70s, cutting her teeth in the stand-up scene and finding her footing as a performer. In 1984, Ed McMahon's daughter saw her set at a club on Long Island and asked for her phone number to see about getting her onto his show, Star Search. It's fantastic. Big 80s television thing. Oh, you didn't miss it. It was... Was that a forerunner of American Idol and all that? I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah. yeah, Interesting. Okay. It was a major break for her. And she, I think she won it five weeks in a row or something was, it was, it was a big deal. It gave her a lot of exposure. I didn't miss it in the eighties. It was on like Saturday afternoon. I I think think. so. Yeah. 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 All right. So this opened a ton of doors for her. So she started appearing on sitcoms and this letter to a uh, VH1 VJ gig, which then led her to hosting Stand Up Spotlight on VH1, which would be a forerunner to the network Comedy Central. <laughs> All of the 80s are coming back into <sighs> my brain right now. This is a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big Weird Hats. Hadn't even thought about the Big Weird Hats. VJs. Oh, my God. Downtown Julie Brown. Do you remember? Oh, Just- Downtown Julie Brown's on Sirius XM. Perfect. On the 90s channel, so you can still hear Downtown Julie Brown. Yeah, apparently Adam Curry is like considered one of the fathers of the internet or something. It's- it's weird. The web. I hear her on the rare occasion I switch it from Radio Margaritaville, <laughs> Channel 24, Sirius XM, yo. Okay. So in the roundabout way that things go, all of these things led her to the set of the film A League of Their Own, directed by TD alum Penny Marshall, in 1992, where she starred alongside people like Tom Hanks, Gary Marshall, Gina Davis, Madonna, and Lori Petty. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Not pretty bad cool. for, you know, a gig. Apparently, because, you know, they had game shots, obviously, and so there were fans in the stand. And apparently at the start of shooting, like when Madonna made her appearance on field, the crowd went wild. And by the end of shooting, when Rosie made her appearance on field, everybody went nuts. Like she... That's amazing. Was just so... She just... She connects with people and she just... She's very relatable. Built a huge fan base of fake baseball fans. It was a hell of a movie. She had a smallish role in Sleepless in Seattle, co-written and directed by TD alum Nora Ephron. Both of these women, I think, are very important. I don't know if mentor is the right word, but I think I think it's extremely... Penny Marshall. Penny Marshall and Nora Ephron. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's extremely meaningful to Rosie that she has worked with both. I would agree. Sleepless in Seattle was the following year after A League of Their Own. These were hot years for Rosie. She was in a bunch of things uh, around this time. But I think what really cemented her in the public mind was the Rosie O'Donnell show, which ran from 1996 to 2002, where she fangirled over musical theater, gushed about Tom Cruise, and threw koosh balls into the audience to much delight. It followed an era where daytime television was very high conflict, a la Jerry Springer and all of those all of it. super mm. terrible 
you are the father. Like, yeah. oh my God. <laughs> so this was such a breath of fresh air. She was so nice and fun and light. And it, it was just the public loved it. It was an overnight sensation. It was an escape. There's a book called Ladies Who Punch, the explosive inside story of The View by author Raman Satuta, and he described the Rosie O'Donnell show this way. Before Jimmy Fallon, Ellen DeGeneres, James Corden, or Andy Cohen adopted the persona of the talk show host as the superfan, there was Rosie, whose daytime show aired from 96 to 02. For six seasons, Rosie took on the title of the world's utmost expert on movies, TV shows, musicals, and crafts without uttering a crossword. She averaged 5 million viewers on her best days, nipping at Oprah's heels and clobbering her at the daytime Emmys. And Oprah actually restructured her show in light of the what Rosie of was Rosie doing. Mm-hmm. Interesting. On TV, Rosie offered a ray of sunshine. It was not for nothing that Newsweek dubbed her the Queen of Nice. That is a moniker that'll kill you. Rosie was <laughs> so popular, she stepped in as host of the Grammys and the Tonys, making her Hollywood's MC of choice after Billy Crystal. He continues... The formula for Rosie's success was that she was your 30-something best friend. She was famous, but not so famous that you couldn't imagine hanging out with her. She seemed genuinely humbled and excited to be around entertainment legends. That enthusiasm came across in the show's opening, which featured an animated Rosie soaring through the streets of Manhattan, a wink at the credits of Bewitched. In public back then, Rosie was America's favorite kid sister, cousin, and daughter all rolled into one. Off camera, like most comedians, she was a little different. It was the 1990s, so while Rosie was out as a lesbian to literally everyone in her life, including the company that produced her show, the unofficial policy for queer celebrities in the era was to avoid public disclosure. It was an uncomfortable restraint, and Rosie struggled to avoid making herself feel like a hypocrite. The Tom Cruise shtick, she would, like, I want him to come and cut my grass and bring me lemonade. Oh, Tommy. mm -hmm, Yeah. mm -hmm. Apparently he still sends her flowers on her birthday. Oh, my. I did not know that. Given all the chatter about how childcare constraints are impacting the labor market these days, I thought it was worth mentioning that way back in the mid-1990s, the Rosie O'Donnell show featured on-site daycare for the show's staff. They just, I think, had a conference room or something on the set that was just the kid room, and it was a largely female staff, so. It's amazing. Rosie herself had adopted her first child the year before, so it made sense for her. But I mean, she really did open it up. Like, it wasn't just she brought her nanny to right? It was a big deal, and it was an item of curiosity to the visitors at 30 Rockefeller Center, where the show was produced. And uh, in Ladies Who Punch, Satuta says that Hugh Jackman once dropped in to just play blocks with the kids. Oh, like, that's Maybe nice. between meetings or something. Did he wears Wolverine fingers? One hopes. Think he just took those off before he went in with the kids. Can you imagine, like, you're just in your workday and Hugh Jackman drops by the, no. the kid corner? Hugh Jackman, you're invited anytime to Trashy headquarters. Uh, please don't bring your fingers. <laughs> All right. We're going to set the now extremely successful Rosie O'Donnell here at the Trashy Divorces Depot and turn our attention to her first wife, the one she never divorced. What? Kelly Carpenter was born May 24th, 1967. She's a Gemini. She was a Louisiana girl who made her way to New York City to find her fortune after college. She told Barbara Walters in 2004 that she had always known she was gay, but had grown up in a pretty conservative family and church environment, and she even did the debutante circuit as a teenager, that kind of family. Mm -hmm. Wow. 
She had come out to her parents who objected to the idea of their daughter being gay and they sent her to a faith-based fellowship. Oh no. I am air quoting air quoting uh-huh. fellowship program called Homosexuals Anonymous. There's not such a thing that exists in the it world. It still exists in the world. As we will see, it did not take. <laughs> Typically doesn't. <laughs> After her move to New York City, Kelly's parents planned a trip to visit their daughter in the greatest city in the world, I've heard. And Kelly scored tickets to Rosie O'Donnell's wildly successful daytime chat show as one of their outing activities. Like This is a great thing to keep mom and dad busy in the city. Adventure in the city. How'd that work out? After the taping, they were invited backstage to meet Rosie. And a couple of weeks later, a mutual friend set them up on a date. Oh my. It was apparently a pretty good date. Thanks for the visit, Mom and Dad. In 1998, the esteemed trash rag National Enquirer, not esteemed, outed Rosie and Kelly's relationship. I feel like uh, just because of the source, because of National Enquirer, and that there was kind of a gentleman's agreement with the press back then that you just didn't, the career ramifications could be so severe that you didn't just wantonly out people unless there was some compelling need. So I think it didn't, publicly make a splash like in in the you know biography of rosie o'donnell she came out publicly in 2002 although this story was out there and um kelly's parents saw it oh no Mm. okay so we're gonna go back to that barbara walters interview uh and here is rosie o'donnell i went down to new orleans and i asked them to go to dinner And I said, here's the deal. I'm in love with your daughter. She's in love with me. I have two children. We plan on having more. We're going to be together for the rest of our lives. I understand you have a problem with her being gay, but with all due respect, you'll either respect us and we will respect you back, or we can't participate because I have children. I'm raising children and teaching tolerance and love and acceptance. And I was not going to banish them from my life because they're born-again Christians, nor did I expect them to banish me from their life because I'm gay. Kelly is a very reasonable view. It is. I guess in 1998. Anyway, this Kelly's mother chimes in. Roe comes on like a Mack truck when she wants something or when she decides this is the way it's going to be. You really have to be prepared for it. And we were very unprepared, <laughs> she says. <laughs> so Kelly said that her parents sort of tried to negotiate this with them, um, encouraging them to be neighbors, but still date men. Such a- <laughs> That's probably a perfect plan. <laughs> Rosie pushed them to accept the truth. Kelly says, oh. Rose stood there and wouldn't accept anything else but yes, take it or leave it. And they took it. Wow. Yeah. That's a tough dinner. Although, whew, dining in New Orleans. What do you serve for that? Do you go to seafood or do you I th- do uh I think shrimp and grits? Crab boil? I don't oh, know. Good all good choices. Anyway. I digress. Please continue with your story. Rosie did finally come out publicly, as noted, in March of two thousand and two during a comedy set. By then she was already exiting the Rosie O'Donnell show after a six season run. She wanted to focus more on her kids. Uh she had made a tremendous amount of money and just I think she just had kind of a humble upbringing and I feel like in our culture, we're dealing with a situation where for a lot of people, there is no such thing as enough. But for Rosie, there was. 
I lost my mom when I was young. I can be a mom to the kids I have at this influential time in their life. Absolutely. I have the money to do that. Why would not yeah. I do that? Yeah. I could choose never to work another day in my life at a paid job and that that would I would be financially fine. So have you yeah. seen my craft room? <laughs> Gonna go raise some kiddos. Okay. So by now there are four kids. But there had been five. In 2000, she and Kelly took in a foster child. Uh, they were residents in Miami Beach at the time, so this was in Florida. And in 2001, they announced their intention to adopt her. Slight problem. Uh, Florida law prohibited same-sex couples from adopting. They could be foster parents. That was fine. Florida wasn't worried about the safety of kids in foster care, but gay parents were not allowed to adopt. Yeah, one of those things is not like the other. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, like they That's terrible. lost this kid who'd been part of their family for 16 months. He was like four years old. Uh, that law, by the way, was ruled unconstitutional in 2010. Anyway, this experience was apparently a big part of Rosie's decision to come out publicly. There were some other families who were fighting the state law to adopt the kids that they had been fostering and loving for years. Like, just a dumb... Okay. She put an intense enough spotlight on that Florida law that the state apparently stopped enforcing it about five years later. Wow. But obviously the damage to her family and to this little girl had been done. The good news is that the girl was adopted by close friends of Rosie. And in an interview with Larry King, she talked about how it, they did this long transitional process where they would like spend the weekend at their friend's home. Anyway, it had to have been terrible, but it sounds like they handled it in the best Cared way they for could. for the child the best way they could, considering the legal yeah. ramifications. Yeah. So jump ahead to 2004, San Francisco Mayor Gavin Newsom, whatever happened to that guy, yeah. <laughs> authorized same-sex marriage licenses to be issued by the city slash county. She and Kelly flew out and they got hitched. This was part of a brief window where such licenses were being issued with Newsom citing the California Constitution's Equal Protection Clause. Many others in the state headed to court, uh, and within a month or so, this was put to a halt. And then in August of 04, the Supreme Court of California avoided all of those licenses, effectively annulling 4,000 marriages. Yeah, that profiles had, encourage right there, you guys. That had been freely entered into by consenting adults, wow. including Rosie and Kelly's marriage. You know, we spend a lot of time in this country arguing about big government versus small government. And I would just like to point out the ways that this is big government directly impacting people's rights. And these are not the cases that people point to when they talk about big, like the boogeyman of big government. Anyway, by 2007, the relationship between Rosie and Kelly had cooled. Kelly had moved out. Apparently, both of them are workaholics, but they have very different styles. Kelly's highly organized and can come off as aloof, while Rosie is gregarious and perhaps a little less driven by to-do lists. In particular, she told Oprah she wanted to play tennis at the country club, and I don't do country clubs. I tried. They made an exception for a gay family, and we joined. It was a big thing. They let in a gay family. Woo! So I show up to play with her, and somebody comes out and says you can't play unless you're in your tennis whites. Rosie O'Donnell didn't have tennis whites. Like, it's just not her culture, right? <laughs> it's just different different kelly debbed rosie did not rosie deb. did not deb whatever their differences they've continued co-parenting their gaggle of children ever since kelly continues to be involved in the day-to-day -day operations of our family vacations a gay travel company that she and rosie created with a business partner in the industry kelly remarried in 2013 to singer ann Steele, whom she met while Steele was performing on an our family vacations cruise oh my mm-hmm 
Among other things, they now host a podcast called I Love My Wife. Oh, that's so nice. Mm -hmm. Kelly was walked down the aisle by her eldest son, that kid that Rosie had adopted in 1995 and whom she had adopted during their relationship. So definitely calling that a co-parenting win. And also, that is how Rosie O'Donnell never divorced her first wife. Wow. The state of California did it for her. Well, thank you, state of California. I guess. So Rosie is once again back at the Trashy Divorces Depot, but not forever. One train leaves, another train's coming along. (laughs) Got a busy schedule at the TD Depot. Rosie's next major relationship was with a consultant named Michelle Rounds, whom she met at a Starbucks while gushing over Michelle's Pomeranian. Relatable. Isn't that how all good lesbian relationships begin? Basically how all good lesbian relationships begin. Okay, Rosie would later say that she thought Michelle, who was 40 at the time, was a 28-year-old straight woman. And if she'd known she was chatting up an available lesbian who looked like that, she would not have had the courage to speak to her. I just like your dog. Which is quite a compliment. Yeah. (laughs) So they met in 2011. They became engaged at the end of the year. They married in June of 2012. This relationship, which did end in divorce, was marred by health crises for both partners. They had originally planned for an August wedding, but in May, Michelle began experiencing significant pain, which doctors ultimately diagnosed as something called desmoid tumors, which are a rare and very dangerous, like it's a cancer-like growth, though it's not technically a cancer of the body's connective tissue. It's like fibroid masses, but they oh, can no. they can be fatal if left yeah. untreated. So surgery was required to remove these, and they decided to speed up. They they got married privately ahead of her first surgery for that, which is nice. In mid-August of 2012, you know, a few months later, uh, Rosie suffered a heart attack that required mm, a stent to be inserted. In early 2013, she and Michelle adopted a baby girl, and all of that is a lot to go through all at once. That is a, a lot to pack into a year. Absolutely. Less than a year. By early 2015, the adults had separated and divorce proceedings were underway. Michelle initially sought full custody of their daughter, but Page Six reported that at the time they agreed to joint custody as the in the final settlement. Later, Rosie would say that Michelle gave up custodial rights in the divorce, so it's very possible that Page Six just got that detail wrong. Michelle remarried in 2016, but tragically died by apparent suicide in 2017. Oh, that's terrible. It, it's terrible. And you can imagine what Rosie's Twitter feed looked like when that happened, too. I mean, people were incredibly cruel. Anyway, uh, this is the last of Rosie's divorces so far. But in 2017, I have such mixed feelings about this story at all, because I think it may be uh, not quite true. In 2017, according to Page Six and Radar Online, she was named in another couple's divorce. Really? Mm-hmm. So Rosie had allegedly begun a relationship with a longtime friend, a married woman. What kind of dog did she have? I don't know. Um, and her husband was, according to these reports and allegations, none too pleased with this turn of events. Again, they'd all been close for years. Rosie is the godmother of one of the couple's children. Oh, like, wow. They're all, they're all friends. They all socialize. Radar's coverage of this was completely disgusting, with an unnamed source quoted as saying that, like, the husband's kind of a big guy, so he started, like, dieting and going to the gym to get all buffed up to save his marriage, and, like, just... Ugh. Was the anonymous source the husband? I, I don't know. Like... <laughs> That the wife had stopped wearing dresses and cut her hair short, just transforming herself for Rosie. Like, 
It's super gross. You know, suddenly she's leaving the apartment after the kids went to bed to, to go cavort or whatever. And it was all so egregious that even the building's doorman thought she was having an affair. Like, I have no idea. Um, what I can tell you is that I looked through like the, the Getty Images sure. catalog. And again, they've been longtime friends. They've certainly, they're, they're photographed together at events into 2020, even like it, they're, they're still friends. They're, I'm very skeptical. I'm, I'm dubious of this. Yeah. If I was going to solve this game of clue, I would say it's the husband in radar with fragile masculinity. I mean, or, you know, with a, with a custody fight happening anyway. <sighs> yeah. So this did, this came up in the couple's custody dispute, uh, cause one of Rosie's daughters, who is now an adult, has somewhat famously become a big critic of her mom. Yeah. Uh, they've had a very difficult and unfortunately very public back and forth, which I suspect Rosie could have handled better, but who am I? Anyway, so the husband expressed concern about his kids being around their godmother or one of their godmothers in light of some smack talk in the press at the time. Again, dubious. I'm dubious because like no one in a divorce has ever like changed their style, right? That's a growth period right there. No middle-aged woman cuts their hair short. Why would you do that? Good Lord. Yeah. So I don't know how all of that turned out, except again, they are still friends and do stuff together and go see shows. By the end of 2017, Rosie was gushing about a different new girlfriend. This one, a Boston police officer, 23 years her junior. They became engaged, but they called it off in 2019 after about a year. It was long distance. That's tough. Yeah. So that is more or less Rosie O'Donnell, who emerged from a difficult childhood with an intense desire to nurture others and across her life has built a tangle of complicated family ties and perhaps untangled a few others. I don't know what Rosie's up to relationship-wise these days, but I have to imagine she's feeling significant relief now that the con man from New York has been deplatformed. Rosie ain't deplatformed, and she's very active and activist on Twitter, documents her family and fandoms. She also loved Hacks on HBO Max. Such a good show. Huh? Over on Instagram. And she's become an avid TikToker, uh, now from Los Angeles, where she's working on a project. This definitely gets trash cans, but I cannot tell how many. Like, I don't know. They're all veiled by the tricks of Broadway. You can't <laughs> tell what's going in the stage and up from the stage. Right. It gets some trash cans, but the state of Florida took them all away. So without asking anybody, well, don't forget to give California a little credit oh, sure. to you. California has some of Rosie's trash cans as well. It's an East Coast, West Coast battle for Rosie O'Donnell's trash cans. That was so, a hell of a tale. Thanks, that's, Stacey. That's that. The long and winding rose road. The long and winding road of Rosie. The long and winding rose worked too, actually. <laughs> Let's go ahead and take a quick break. Yep. Come back on the other side with... You've got a fun one. Just 100% trashy roller coaster, y'all. Can't wait. Can't wait. See you on the flip. There's never a wrong time to take a look at the things that are keeping you from living your best life. And if now is your moment, we recommend BetterHelp. 
BetterHelp is confidential, convenient, and safe professional counseling with your own licensed therapist. BetterHelp's quick questionnaire matches you with a counselor in under 24 hours, and you can message your counselor at any time, even between scheduled phone or video sessions. And if you're not clicking, that's fine. It is free to change counselors. BetterHelp is available worldwide. They offer specialized expertise that may not be available locally where you live. It's more affordable than traditional counseling. Financial aid is available as well. It has just never been easier to find a licensed professional counselor. In fact, there are so many people using BetterHelp that they are recruiting counselors in all 50 states. We want you to start living your happiest life today. As a Trashy Divorces listener, you get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash trashy. Join more than 1 million people who are taking charge of their mental health. Visit betterhelp, that's betterhelp.com slash trashy. Summer reading season is upon us. Have you ever considered how your personal finances would read as a literary genre? Would it be a sweet romance with a happy ending? or a thriller you could only read during the day. The clever ladies at the Oak Tree Group want to help you write your most compelling financial story. These three holistic planners have 77 years of combined experience helping people navigate all kinds of financial plot twists and turns. They can help you with a wide breadth of financial strategies. Check out their website, www.theoaktreegroup.net and see the experience and areas of expertise these women bring to the people they serve. The Oak Tree Group is offering our listeners a free one-hour consultation on your financial script. See their website, www.theoaktreegroup.net, for additional contact details. Okay, Alicia, you have been delighting yourself with trash candy for the last few days. Tell me what you've unearthed. So I'm not proud of all of the time that I wasted during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. I did some very productive things, and then I did some utterly unproductive things. And one of those things was watching the entire three-season arc of a show on Netflix called Selling Sunset. Hmm. I recall this happening. I enjoyed it immensely. It was quite a ride. Many people did. As I feel that that was a very large time suck. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Why not? (laughs) Turn it over into some trashy, trashy joy for all of y'all who may be into Selling Sunset. If you're not, I'm going to give you an entire wrap-up right now so you have everything you need to know going into season four, whenever it comes out. Is this your murder-dirter skit of (laughs) Selling Sunset? Murder-dirter has way more value than this nonsense Oh, no, but the Saturday Night Live skit that basically was... Put the first three episodes into like a three-minute thing. It was great. Okay. Here are the things you need to know. There are twin brothers named Brett and Jason Oppenheim. They are attorneys. They decide to leave the law game and found a real estate company. Jason and Brett. Great. It's not terribly unusual. There's a five-generation head start in the real estate game going back to their great-great-grandfather who launched the Stern Realty Company in 1899. Jacob Stern, this ancestor, is one of the dudes who was building Hollywood as of 120 years ago. This is from the Oppenheim Group website. Jacob built his personal residence on a five-acre parcel at the now-famous corner of Hollywood and Vine. In 1925, the family constructed the Hollywood Plaza Hotel, which was the preferred luxury destination of the entertainment industry in the early years of Hollywood and is now preserved as a California historic landmark. 
However, it was the lease of Jacob Stern's horse barn for $75 a month to three Hollywood newcomers that would alter the course of Los Angeles and become the Oppenheim Group's most immortalized real estate transaction. In the horse barn, at the southwest corner of the family residence, Cecil B. DeMille, (laughs) Jesse Lasky, and Samuel Goldwyn would establish Hollywood's first movie studio, Paramount Pictures, the world's first full-length feature film, The Squaw Man was produced and premiered in the barn, which has been designated as a National Historic Landmark and currently serves as the home of the Hollywood Heritage Museum. There's a little backstory. Yeah. A storied history, no doubt. And then comes Netflix. And then comes a pandemic where you're inside your home with Netflix just right there to provide some needed distraction from... Gestures wildly. (laughs) I admit it. I got sucked in. I got so sucked in. The homes are gorgeous. Just all over those bird streets in the hills. And HGTV for the last, I don't know, decade and a half has absolutely cultivated an audience through their programming where we love to watch completed homes, beautifully styled. And a lot of the homes on Selling Sunset just rich in history and drama, and it is literally trash candy for the eyes. And this show features HGTV people, right? No, but they are associated. Okay. Okay. So the Oppenheim Group, they have a lot of agents. Legitimately, if you check their website out, it is a physically beautiful workspace of people. Go to their website, look at their agents and staff. But not all of those agents are featured on the show, although any one of them have the absolute looks to be big stars. The cast, insofar as up to season three, mainly focuses on just a handful of these agents and Jason and Brett, the owner brokers. It seems like today there's a little bit of shuffling between the two of them with an alternate division of Oppenheim Group in the works. I'm sure we'll find out about that in season four, but alas, I'm not here to talk about any of that today. I'm looking at the main agent cast of seven and the trashy divorces between them. Excellent. And not all of the agents are trashy. Maya Vander, let's start with her. She's low-key, Maya is. She's a lady who's been all over the world. She grows up in Israel, moves to LA in 2002. Her husband is mentioned and never named. She's the mother of two kids. She does this East Coast, West Coast thing where she's working both in Los Angeles and in Miami. She splits her time until she couldn't because of bed, because of no flying at the end of her pregnancy at the end of season three. From a quick Google search, it looks like Maya has started her own group, the Maya Vander Group, down in Florida. Website is in the show notes along with all the references used to source this trashy story. Maya, no trash can in sight. She's quite lovely. Next up, Davina. Davina Portraz. Davina is clearly brought in to be the villain. I mean, lots of folks think the show could possibly be highly scripted. Hmm. Hard to believe. Reality TV. It's right there in the name, Alicia. It's wrestling for women. They would never do that. If I'm watching something that's entirely trashy, just make it pretty. 
And Davina livens things up. She's strong. She's no pushover. No trashy divorce as far as I can tell. In October of 2020, so just last year, she did announce that she is leaving the Oppenheim Group and joining their rival firm, Douglas Elliman in Beverly Hills. But she sure hopes she has a place in the cast of season four. It's not a bad idea. It gives her the way to be the character everyone is against, at least according to the press. She's the she's the troublemaker. I don't agree with that assessment. <laughs> However. However. And then along comes Mary. Good Lord. Mary Fitzgerald. Now, Mary is always in the center of all the drama. Kind of like, how did I get in the center of all this drama? Mary, a long time ago, used to date Jason, the owner broker. But they haven't dated in forever, and they remain good friends and confidants. But this makes every other agent really angry. Mary's Jason's favorite. Mary gets everything. Mary, Mary, Mary. Like, it's very Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. All the other agents do is bitch all the time about how much of a favorite Mary is. Mary's had three marriages. In the first marriage, her first husband passed away. The second marriage just doesn't work, leaving her available for her third marriage, Romaine. Good Lord. Romaine is the younger Lothario type. Like, I get the attraction. They're pretty together. Mary's going to meet Romaine in 27. Oh, he's French. Mm. He's sexy. I mean, you get it. She meets him in 2017, two days after he moves to Los Angeles. One of the storylines in season one is their engagement, which everybody has their feelings about. In season two, it's all about their wedding. Now, Mary, Mary, Mary will sell her French estate wedding venue the morning of her wedding there. And again, the rest of the cast never stops talking about it all the way through season three. So you're saying the the venue where she was getting married was a property she was also She had listing. listed because their other venue fell through. And so oh, interesting. Okay. the owner was like, certainly you can use my home. Okay. And so she did a showing that morning and sold her wedding venue oh on God. her wedding day and Mary, Mary, Mary. It's Huge commission, remarkable. Look at, so productive even on your wedding day. Okay. okay, so the thing you need to know is this wedding happens in real life time, October 2019. Okay, real life time. The wedding will air on the season finale of season two. Great. But what was revealed in 2020 is that the ceremony between Mary and Romaine that first legally bound them is in March 2018, a full year and a half earlier at the Ventura Courthouse. Interesting. Interesting. So they took care of it. But then they held back the big party for the TV. So they have a representative who Mm -hmm. released this statement Mm -hmm. about the dust-up. Quote, Mary and Romaine had a civil union a couple of months before the show began filming in June of 2018, but they chose not to tell any of their friends or family as if they were still trying to see if their relationship would work out in the long term. In their minds, they were not properly married until the wedding that was filmed during the show. I'm fairly certain that's not how it works. No, that's not that's not how it works. But it's not like they need to worry about the state of California annulling that bad boy, so everything's fine. <laughs> it's not how it works. Not how it works. Anyway, onward. Showbiz. In our cast. Moving on to Amanza. Amanza Smith, 
Now she's going to join in season two and she's plucky and down to earth. She's no nonsense. She's a designer turned real estate agent. She's got two kids. She's a single mom. And the storyline is all kind of very vague about why this is happening, but she's always late to meetings and such. She's going to a lot of court things to get custody of those kids who love and believe in her. It's a a very different kind of storyline than the rest of the cast. She's finally making some sales. It's good. You root for Amanda. Super easy to root for. She's maybe the most relatable of any of these broads. But Amanda does have a previous trashy divorce. And the script has a lot of this mystery ex-husband slash children's father floating around in the narrative. Like the ex-husband is literally in the wind because he is literally in the wind. So a little backstory. Amanda's originally a model before turning a designer. She's an Indiana girl. She's known Mary, Mary, Mary since childhood. In 2010, Amanda will marry NFL cornerback Ralph Brown. Ralph Brown plays in college for the University of Nebraska. He's an All-American. He goes professional in 2000. He plays for the New York Giants, the Minnesota Vikings, the Cleveland Browns, and the Arizona Cardinals. Total 222 tackles, 31 passes defended, and six interceptions. Threw all that in for our hostage husbands and boyfriends. <laughs> Watching out for you. Anyway, Ralph retires in 2009. And the next year, July 2010, Ralph and Amanda marry. Two kids, quick succession. They're divorced by 2012. Now she's got two kids under two, and she and her ex are sharing custody of the kids. Week on, week off, week on, week off, and everything's fine until 2019. Amanda, after the divorce, will date Tay Diggs Hmm. beginning in 2014 after his divorce from Indina Menzel. They have a long-term relationship, like four years or so, but ultimately that doesn't work out. Amanda on the show, single mom. Why is she going to custody? To get full custody of her kids because no one can find her ex-husband. He's missing. Amanda will talk with People Magazine in February of this year, and she's trying to garner a little light into where the hell did my ex-husband, where did my children's father go? She says she hasn't seen him since August of 2019. However, she does feel certain he's alive as he has had interactions within the court system, as well as submitted a change of address to a P.O. box at a UPS store. And she's like, is the custody matter disputed? I'm no, no. She went and got all the time full custody of her kids because he's just he's he's in gone. The wind, yeah. Right? Now, she understands like maybe silence from him, but she's very confused about the silence from all of his family members. She says, I'm not doing it to find him for revenge or to get money or child support. I just want to know what's going on. If there's a possible solution to help him even feel a little better. Amanda's main concern is that whatever's going on with him might be related to health issues from his time spent in football CTE. Yeah, right. brain injury, yeah. So she's... Not, not an unreasonable concern. Not an unreasonable concern. And you've been a fantastic father since our divorce, and then you just go AWOL? 
So Amanda's sort of coming out to use her platform to get answers, which makes sense for her kids. And I'm certain we're going to hear more about that on season four. Stay tuned. Okay, that's four now. We got three more to go. The real center of the drama is Christine Quinn. And if she's not the center of the drama for at least two seconds, she is going to find a way to reinsert herself as the center of the drama. Wow, there's a lot going on with Christine. Christine is a Texas girl. She comes to Los Angeles, not for a budding career in real estate, but acting and modeling. Her IMDb lists over 20 credits, and then she'll move into the real estate scene. And she's memorable. She's a definite type. Anyway, no divorce that I can find, but her wedding does end season three. And she's going to marry a guy who's got about $20 million. He's an MIT-educated retired tech entrepreneur. One of this guy's claims to fame is he created early food delivery with this service called Foodler, which sold to Grubhub hmm. in 2017. Interesting. So Christine and her new husband, Christian, Christine and Christian, so I'm sure that's not confusing at all, meet in 2019, marry a year later. Her first baby was delivered in May of this year. And of course, at the end of season three, it was very giggly. Of course, my dress doesn't fit, but certainly I'm not pregnant. Mm -hmm. She has a new $5 million home in the Hollywood Hills that she's always wanted. She would dream about living in that house. And I guess she made that dream come true. Christy. Okay, moving on. Heather Ray Young. Now, here's your HGTV connection. Heather Ray Young, California girl, Playmate of the Month. February 2010, she has nine acting credits in IMDb, spends a lot of her time before real estate as a spokesmodel for a lot of famous brands. She's a uh, runway model, lingerie model, blah, blah, blah. She's got a busy life, but onward. Heather's going to split her time between modeling and real estate, where in August of 2019, she will meet Tarek El Moussa from the HGTV show Flip or Flop fame, and maybe almost more notably from the very trashy split from his ex-wife and former co-star of Flipper Flop, Christina Hawk. Mm-hmm. Christina's maiden name is Hawk. Tarek and Christina marry in 2009. They divorce in 2018. Christina will pretty much immediately marry English television presenter Aunt Anstead in 2018. They have a child. They divorce in 2020. That is when she will take back her maiden name of Hawk. Derek and Christina, probably their own episode in a future season, but Heather is all up in this HGTV crossover storyline, even though none of those folks appear on the Selling Sunset show. Heather and Tark meet on the 4th of July, 2019 at Louis by the Bay. It's a modern Italian steakhouse on the waterfront. Her birthday, just a few months later, he's going to buy her up. Hard white top Ferrari. She meets his kids. They move in together. They've documented all of her Instagram. They get engaged July 25th, 2020, a year after they meet. He proposes on a boat trip to Catalina Island. Isn't a boat trip to Catalina Island what killed Natalie Woods? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Interesting choice. I, not everybody lives in all the times. Okay. Now, they will host at Louis on the Bay, the place where they met, a very fancy engagement party in April of this year. People Magazine writes it up, and they call it a quote-unquote sexy and fun 
engagement party. This is where I'm taking these next bits from is that People magazine article. El Musa's two kids, daughter and son, who he shares with his ex-wife, were in attendance for the early part of the night to celebrate their dad and bonus mom, as Young calls herself. She did confirm that she'll be changing her name to Heather Ray El Musa after they married. Both stars kept it elegant yet fun when it came to their outfits for the evening. El Musa donned a blue velvet canali tuxedo, while Young looked like a bride-to-be in an all-white bell-bottom jumpsuit covered in sparkles from Nadine Marabi. The former model topped off the look with a sleek high ponytail and diamond stud earrings borrowed from her friend of more than 10 years, Kristen. Although the couple has been busy planning their nuptials, including Young documenting her hunt for the perfect wedding and rehearsal dress and their engagement shoot in February, they've stayed mum about when and where they'll be saying I do, but have confirmed it'll be sometime this year. My guess is it's going to be on season four of Selling Sunset. But Mazel, good luck to you two kids. Stay tuned for that one. Okay, this brings us to the last of our Selling Sunset stars. Chriselle. Chriselle Staus. Oh, Chriselle. She's a entry into season one and utterly rocks the dynamic. She is a Kentucky girl, born in Kentucky. This is actually how she gets her name. Her mother goes into labor at the Shell Station. And the attendant at the Shell Station's name is Chris that day. He's the lucky attendant on duty. And hence, Chris Shell. That is a story. (laughs) (laughs) Times aren't great with Chriselle growing up. The family lives in their car for a little while. She kind of had a rough start. Chriselle is going to attend Murray State University on a theater scholarship. She graduates in 2003. Off to the greatest city in the world, New York City. Chriselle will get cast in ABC's All My Children in 2005. She will briefly be engaged to Matthew Morrison from Glee in 2006, but that's over by 2007. More soap opera roles follow, NBC's Days of Our Lives this time, and more roles as well, primetime and a leading role. She's got a lot of credits, but again, she's moving into working in real estate like so many of her other real estate cohorts who have a wide range of experience in modeling, acting, and the real T-Biz. Now, this is the point where we begin wrapping in the Selling Sunset storyline because Chriselle is married to actor Justin Hartley from NBC's This Is Us. Or let me say was married because their divorce was finalized in February 2021 this year. But we saw the beginning of how it played out on Selling Sunset. I'm certain season four will wrap that storyline, but let's back up the bus a little bit. Chriselle is wife number two of three for Justin. Justin, mm -hmm, born in Illinois, is a double history and theater major. He gets his start on soap operas as well. NBC Passions is his big beginning in 2002, where he will meet and fall in love with his co-star, Lindsay Corman. After six months, Lindsay and Justin are engaged. They marry in May 2004. They have a child. A lot of roles on TV and film later, Justin's moving up through the ranks. But after eight years of marriage in May 2012, Lindsay will file in Los Angeles Superior Court for divorce, citing irreconcilable differences. 
Apparently, this is when Justin and Grishel get together. They are set up when she's working on Days of Our Lives. They begin dating in 2013. Rumors that they are dating are confirmed in January 2014. In July 2016, the engagement of Justin and Chriselle is announced with a wedding that follows October 2017. All of this happens before This Is Us launches. I just want you to put that in here. Okay. So a mere two years later, and on this trashy television show, Selling Sunset, it is announced that Justin has filed for a divorce, citing irreconcilable differences. And Chriselle has no idea it's coming. He sends her a text. I've filed 45 minutes later, it hits the papers. Wow. Yeah. Now, Justin... How, I mean, how credible do you... Do you believe that she had no idea it was coming? No, let's talk about it. Okay. I mean, but that particular day, probably not, but... Gotcha. Okay. So Justin never appears on Selling Sunset, but Chriselle's all about him. My dreamy husband. He's mentioned all the time. As soon as she's introduced in the cast, you don't get through a segment with her about my dreamy husband, Justin. Here's where it gets a little funky. So the divorce is the shock, right, in November 2019. But the date that Justin will cite on the paperwork goes back to July of 2019 for the original filing. So I'm not sure what selling Sunset had to do with all of that differentiation in the six-month timeline. But it was a compelling storyline for the show. Like, I text you 45 minutes before Hollywood Reporter has that I filed for a divorce. But in the dust-up afterwards... Well, yeah, it's because he texted Hollywood Reporter next. <laughs> right. This is the speculation from however reliable showbiz cheat sheet is. The speculation is that the date of July is used to not have to provide spousal support for Chriselle. The term gaslighting is being tossed about. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Because Justin has a new girl, fellow soap opera actress Sophia Purness. Justin and Sophia starred together in a movie filmed in Canada the summer of 2018, the year before the summer he uses to cite in the papers before it's announced in November of 2019, right? It's shady. It's super shady. But by May of 2019, Sophia and Justin are being photographed together. She's kissing him as she's dropping him off for his arm surgery. He cites the date July in the papers. Although it's not publicly known for that next six months, there's definitely a lot going on. It's shady. That's what I'm saying. The divorce of Chriselle, bless her heart, and Justin was final February 2021 of this year. Not a man to waste time, old Justin Hartley. He marries Sophia in May of this year in 2021. Wow. Although they will only confirm that they've been together since June of 2020. Mm-hmm. Okay. I see where you're going. Okay. I see where you're going with that. So after the success of Selling Sunset, not sure how much for the legitimate, fascinating plot lines, or the fact we were all stuck in our house for the pandemic. The show has been renewed for two more seasons, so season four and season five are coming. The cast returned to filming in May of this year for season four. There's no release date as of yet. However, you do notice an upward trend of every cast member 
trying to get themselves quoted as much as possible in the press. Hmm. So in all likelihood, it's coming soon for all of us. More babies, more weddings. Oh, y'all, Christine's wedding at the end of season three is worth it just for the swans and the live snow and the guests complaining, this is dry clean only. (sighs) Good Lord. Oh, and more real estate, y'all, because it's really the real estate we're in for. Truly, it is a trash candy spectacular for the eyes and heart. That's Selling Sunset. I'm not proud. (laughs) I'm not proud that I can recap all of that for you in the legitimately easiest story I've ever written for Trashy Divorces. All right. Most referenced, but easiest one to write. Yeah, that's fine. I have seen none of Selling Sunset, so... uh... Now I don't have to, which makes no, you're me all caught up for season four. We'll happy. watch it together when no, it premieres. No, we won't. <laughs> that, my darlings, is another week of Trashy Divorces. Thank you so much for spending your time with us today. Don't forget next Sunday, we're going to be wrapping up season 11 in the season finale. we got a blockbuster coming for you next week. In the meantime, we're going to have another Trashy Royals coming to you on Wednesday of this week. If you need more trash candy before then, check out one of the 700 or so episodes on patreon.com slash trashy divorces. Also, don't forget, we're pulling out a few of those pretty regularly and giving them to you completely free at bit.ly slash trash candy. You even got the URL right. Don't expect it again. I normally <laughs> throw it to you, but you, I happened to write it down this time. I was furiously trying to remember what it was. So <laughs> I, know, I, was, I wrote it down. I was glad you did. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, again for tuning in. Until we meet again. Until we meet again. Keep your hands clean. And keep your hearts trashy. So, so trashy. Bye. Bye, y'all. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacy and Alicia, with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at CarbonMade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram. And definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at TrashyDivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at TrashyDivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at Patreon.com slash TrashyDivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear. Want to advertise with us? Reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information. And last but not least, come play with us on social media. I keep most of our Trashy Divorces Instagram hopping. Stacy and I share it up over on Facebook, including our Trashy Divorces podcast discussion group. Come join us over there and thanks again everybody for listening. Keep it trashy y'all.